Hey, Real Talker, Canada's conservatives have to be happy with the direction of recent polling, but did their national convention in Quebec City over the weekend put some of that momentum at risk? Charles Adler and I take a look at where the party's focused now and where it needs to focus if it wants to form government in this episode of Real Talk. This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. It's Monday, September 11th. We welcome you to this uh, episode of Real Talk. Never, it's sort of one of those uh, dates that jumps off the calendar, isn't it? To state the obvious, anytime it's just not you know your average Monday or Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever it is, on whatever year it is. Anytime you say September 11th, I don't know. My my brain just goes back to that day in 2001. I know I'm stating something obvious. I know I'm not the only one, but every, every year, even though it's not one of these. What do you say? Sort of like monumental anniversaries, unless you're one of the families, unless you're a New Yorker, unless you're a firefighter or, or a first responder, unless, 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 unless uh, you still think about it, right? It's, it's, it's not the first year after. It's not the 10th or the 25th, but 22 years after uh, September 11th, 2001, I still find myself thinking, remembering about that morning, probably the same as you, right? Probably probably the same as as, as those the generation before would, would think of, you know, December 6th, for example, or you think of these dates through history where, where something happened, whether it was a, an attack on America at Pearl Harbor or whether it was it was D-Day or, or whether it was one of those big moments there are these certain specific dates that just jump out at us and, and prompt reflection. And I, I think that's a good thing. We won't spend all show talking about that today, but in just a quick second, I'll ask Charles Adler what he remembers about that. I don't think in all the years that I've been talking to Adler on and off camera, so to speak, uh, as pals, colleagues, and otherwise, I don't know that he and I have ever talked about September 11th. I don't remember what his memory was on that day. He, he would have been obviously broadcasting coast to coast. We'll find out in a second. We'll take a look today at the Conservatives National Convention. Quebec City played host to Canada's Conservatives over the weekend. Now, you know how conventions go. They want to talk policy. This is the grassroots way, the delegates way of coming in and saying, here's what we want the party to be all about. Here's the message that we want to send to Canadians, both our current supporters and our could be, maybe would be supporters. But what message did Canada's conservatives send? We'll get into that, and then we try to do this at least once a month. We're going to get into our Real, bo- Real Talk mailbag today. So if, if you're Gerald who wrote in, letting us know that, that Angus Reid was asking the wrong questions, the, the polling firm, Shachi Curl joined us last week, says Angus Reid asked the wrong question about parents' rights or, or parents' uh, right to know, to be informed by schools about their kids' pronouns. Gerald thinks that we needed to hit that from a different angle. We'll get to that. And and Lauren, who, who thinks that that my conversation about merit-based hiring and women in broadcasting in particular missed a certain something. We'll get to Lauren's take on that. We'll find out what Brian thought about our David Parker interview. Believe it or not, we're still getting emails. I'm not talking about hanging on to a bunch of old emails. I'm saying we're still getting emails, including over this past weekend, about my one-on-one with the founder, the, the leader of that Take Back Alberta movement, and Curtis, who wrote in to talk about Canada's housing crisis. Spoiler alert, I'll let you know that 
Curtis's email has already translated into a Real Talk roundtable. That's coming up this Friday. We're going to talk about Canada's housing crisis. You already know that if you subscribe to our weekly email, which is in your inbox as of this morning, and you can subscribe at the bottom of the page at ryanjesperson.com. Adler in 30 seconds, but first wanted to let you know that this episode of Real Talk is presented by Rello. Uh, Back to school season, definitely not just for the kids. If you've been feeling stuck or unsatisfied in your job, now is the perfect time to go back to school for a new career. Why not launch a rewarding career in real estate with Rello's affordable online courses? Their courses make it easy to pass your exam and get your real estate license so you can run your own business, set your own hours, and be your own boss. The earning potential is unlimited, and you'll be helping people every single day as they buy or sell their homes. Now, the best thing about Rello is how committed they are to your success. Live instructors host online exam prep sessions every Saturday. They've got a whole bunch of resources to help you launch your business well after you've passed the exam and gotten licensed. And there's a great special right now for real talkers. Right now, you can save 20% on any Rello course with the code REALTALK. That's one word, REALTALK at Rello, R-E-L-O dot C-A. For decades, Charles Adler's been uh, a known name across the country as he has driven and hosted conversations, common sense conversations about issues that matter. He's an Emmy winner. He's an RTDNA Lifetime Achievement winner, and he joins us the first episode of every week here on Real Talk. Chuck, what do you remember uh, personally, professionally about September 11th, 2001? Where were you? I was in Winnipeg, and I... uh remember it as being a very, very somber day uh, because at that point, regardless of what the numbers were in terms of casualties in in Pennsylvania, in Washington, and of course, most of them in in New York City, uh, we had no idea where where this was going. We had no idea whether this attack on what appeared to be, of course, the United States of America, whether there were going to be similar attacks on Britain, France, Germany, Canada, perhaps, but we didn't know whether or not this would actually, at some point, become a world war, because there was no doubt in, in my mind that uh, the United States was was going to respond. It was just a matter of how it would respond, how widely it would respond, and how many countries. Clearly, it was a, a terrorist attack, but terrorists are based in several countries, mostly the Middle East, and uh, and it was an open question at that point. But I, I think I think what I'd like to talk about right now is there was no doubt in anybody's mind uh, that this was extremely serious. This was life-changing. This would affect all our lives, whether we lived in the city, country, uh, Canada, Europe, United States, of course, or anywhere else. Uh, It was a world event, and it was the most colossal event that was happening in real time right before our eyes. And most of us thought that all the fluff that was, I guess, filling up um, talk shows, TV, radio, whatever, uh, you know, the, the Kardashian kind of stuff. We thought all of it would disappear because we just didn't think that anybody would be in a mood uh, for filler, for for low-protein, empty uh, communications, and we thought that that would be the case for a long time. It was just a question of, of how long. But uh, some of us at the time, I remember we were talking about uh, democracy, that democracy was at stake and that uh, most of us felt there was a consensus that we would have to give authorities more authority. Right. That uh, 
That doesn't mean an authoritarian state, but uh, we felt that uh, liberal democracies like Canada would end up um, exercising more power. The central authority would exercise more power over all of us, especially in terms of what we were doing on social media, because there was no question that uh, some of these people were radicalized on social media. And we saw social media at the time, that's 22 years ago, we saw social media as a potentially a dangerous uh, thing. And I don't, I don't think we were wrong about that. Yeah, no kidding. How would you like, you look back and I, I was talking to a friend the other day, just uh, about, about how drastically different, like flying on an airplane is the, the flying experience. And this was, that is like directly linked, obviously sure. uh, to nine 11. There, there have been some, kind of like learnings that that only happen over time you remember how you know i remember george w bush president at the time like that and, and by the way well maybe we can talk about rudy giuliani in just a bit i mean remember giuliani 22 years ago versus now unreal but i remember 22 years ago we took giuliani uh, very seriously uh, he's, a Today, he's, a, he's a he's a bozo he's a, a drunken clown i mean it's just yeah. i've never seen it in in my lifetime I've never seen a person go from the the penthouse to the outhouse yeah. like Rudy Giuliani. Yeah, so well said. Uh, one one of the most impressive, impromptu sort of ad lib political responses I've ever seen. Uh, I remember George W. Bush standing on this on this wreckage on this rubble. I mean, still, I mean, you know, there, there were still efforts underway to you know the the workers were still there where the towers had stood. Everybody remembers it, yeah. and uh, and the president of the United States is there, and, and he's and he's talking to the people, and he's talking to the nation, obviously. You seen you remember one of those rescue workers whomever it was sort of shouted from and said we can't hear you the good people of new york city and new jersey and connecticut as we mourn the loss of thousands of our citizens i can hear you i can hear you the rest of the world hears you and the people You know, and this, so there was this sort of, I don't know the right word. I mean, it's not enthusiasm because people were devastated, obviously, but, but there was this sense, remember the sense like, we're going to get the bastards. We're going to get the Absolutely. bastards that did yeah, this. Yeah, and I was, I, I, was, I was one of them. I was, you know, uh, go get them. Uh, go get them now. And I remember specifically uh, feeling that uh, this was, uh, you know, radical Islam. Yeah. And uh, it, and 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 if we had to, if the United States had to, if uh, Canada as an ally had to, if we actually had to go to uh, the the center of Islam, uh, which is Saudi Arabia, of course, um, we, we would have to do that. And there was no doubt in my mind that if we had gone um, into Saudi, this would have been a much much uh, wider uh, war. And I also had no doubt at the time that what would stop us from going to Saudi, whether we like it or not. Even though it was 9-11, even though all of us were thinking about the firefighters, the police, the civilians, all of it, uh, we couldn't help but feel that if we had uh, taken revenge in Saudi Arabia, the price of oil would go to, you know, whatever, 150 or $200 a barrel. And uh, that would uh, cause an instant recession, if not depression. And I felt that, and I remember sharing this with, with, with folks across the country, that this would stop us, for those people who are w worried that this takes us to Saudi Arabia, it likely won't happen just because of a basic self-preservation. We're not going to shoot ourselves in, in both feet and the heart in order to make the point. We'll find another place, another territory 
somewhere in the Middle East to to make the point. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, you cut to present day and you have people maybe going, uh, you know, these and I'm not here to, to say like, you know, Saddam Hussein has this like shining legacy and should be remembered as a hero hardly and far from. But yeah. the the for the average civilian, for the average person, uh, you know, the, there was kind of this like minimum standard. We, we there was there was almost like this trust in Western governments that if that if you thought if intelligence showed that that this was what we needed to know or we had what we needed to know, believe us, we've got it. Believe yeah. us, the intelligence suggests that this is it. Then let's shell the hell out of these guys. And looking back in retrospect, uh, Iraq obviously not the right target. I mean, no, I mean, it was it was a the, the, that Iraq thing was a dumb idea. And at the time, I was a soldier. I don't not so about uh, literally a soldier, but I felt I needed to be a a soldier for our cause, sure, uh, and I, you know, supported, uh, you know, what the Allies were doing, and of course that included uh, Iraq. But I just had trepidations. When when Dick Cheney went on, I guess it was Meet the Press or one of the Sunday shows, and, and said that the uh, Arabs in, in in Baghdad would be greeting American troops with flowers, I just threw my hands up and I said, "This thing is 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 likely a fraud. This thing is going to end really really badly." So now you cut to present day and the only I mean, today, September 11th, because the date jumps off the calendar, people will talk about it and remember it. Yeah. And people around water coolers will say, where were you or what do you remember about it? They'll have conversations similar to ours. But but the only other time that I've seen 9-11 invoked or the Saudis tied to 9-11, obviously, and in plain sight has been over the last 18 months or so with the, the PGA and the Live Golf Tour and yeah. some of the comments from from Monaghan, the, the, the PGA's leader, and, and, and saying, like, when have you ever had to apologize for being a fan or for playing on the PGA Tour, people talk about the Saudis and sports washing, the trend that we're seeing with with that. And 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 honestly, like for people that love live and love where golf is going and they're fans of the game, it's like people still, and I'm not trying to turn this into some sort of an indictment of millions of golf fans everywhere, but people still are kind of like, eh, like it seems like enough time has passed or for whatever reason, people keep giving Saudis a pass. Well, When's the last time you saw a Canadian outraged that the government of Canada is selling armored vehicles to the Saudis? It's like nobody cares. No, no, no. time, time, uh, either time heals or time gives people amnesia. But I look, I don't want to get into grandpa Chuck time here, but you know, I, it's, it's impossible for me to forget how many people I knew in my real life growing up as a child who said they would never buy a Volkswagen or they would never buy right. a Mercedes or they would never buy a, a knife or anything made in Germany. My God, that was that was consensus. And it was uh, also consensus among my friends, my cousins, you know, because I've got lots of kin in, in the United States, uh, which is where we were supposed to end up. That's a whole other story. But the point is, I always had a strong connection in the United States. And of course, I worked there for a number of years. But in the United States, uh, the, the antipathy toward uh, buying Japanese motorcycles and Japanese cars. And, you know, once again, I, I know I'm sounding like Grandpa Chuck here because for someone in 2023 to say, wait a minute, people actually were serious about not buying products like cars, like like what BMWs and Mercedes-Benzes from, from Germany or, or, or Toyotas from uh, from Japan, or they, they, they couldn't be serious. They were deadly serious because it was based upon their memory of, of World War II, and as far as they were concerned, the Japanese and the Germans uh, were responsible for the war, 
And I mean, I could, I could, I could make the case that they were responsible for the war, but that, that's not the, the point here. The, the point is that Ryan Jesperson is saying that memories fade, and of course, in in the ashes of nine eleven, if anyone had said that the the PGA would take itself to the next level by combining with the Saudis, I mean, you would have been told that you were nuts. Mm. That was twenty two years ago, and so that conversation about not dealing with the Saudis in this way is so twenty two years old, and anything that's you know, more than 10 days before our first iPhone is considered the Flintstones. It's, it's, it's the stone age. Yeah. I, it's, uh, it's hard for me to, to sort of wrap my mind around that, that 22 year passage of time. And if you look at where we are now with nine 11, 22 years ago in nine 11, you know, 22 years before that, you would have been looking at 1979. You're, you're talking about, you know, the Soviet-Afghan war, the Soviet Union invades Afghanistan, uh, Iranian students crowding the U.S. embassy in Tehran, the, the Iran hostage crisis. I mean, 22 years is, is, is a generation, right? I mean, it's, it's like there, there are people right now, yeah. young people in universities today that have no memory of it. In, Brian, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I want to bring in something that's uh, specific and political, and, and there's blood on my hands here, so this is not me... Uh, uh, you know, trying to whitewash uh, history or whitewash my own history. I was very much a supporter of George W. Bush and and, and what they were doing. Yes, I had uh, trepidations, especially, like I say, Dick Cheney's uh, remarks about the flowers and Colin Powell's, I thought, bizarre presentation uh, to the United States where it almost sounded to me like, um, you know, Powell had been had been brainwashed. It was it was uh, it was disconcerting. But putting all of that aside, uh, I was a supporter. I was also a supporter of the Canadian Conservative uh, Party. That's the same party that's around today. I don't want people to pretend that I was supporting a different party. I was supporting the, the same party that's there today. I've got my my grievances with them, but I want to put that aside for a moment. I was supporting George Bush, and I was supporting the idea of you're with us or you're against us, okay? Uh, yes, of course, it was the ashes of 9-11 that uh, made me do what so many people around the world did, including the, the great uh, Tony Blair, and that is uh, put our arms around uh, George Bush and, and and have him as the leader of this uh, movement and the, the leader of the free world against um, against terrorism. It, it was the it was the war on terror. I had no trouble with the idea of the you know that phrase the war on terror. But the point is that Jean Chrétien was the prime minister, and I have to give credit where credit is due. Jean Chrétien kept our kids out of Iraq. Uh, Stephen Harper was very much for uh, joining the coalition and going into Iraq. I supported Harper and I supported that. I will regret that for the rest of my life. And I will always be thankful that my guy was not in charge. My guy was not in the PMO, that it was, um, it was Jean Chrétien. I just want to put things into, into context with, uh, with, you know, 2023, because whether it's the conservative convention a couple of days ago, or so many conversations that take place. I'm always hearing this. Stephen Harper was the greatest. Stephen Harper was the best. If only we had Stephen Harper. Uh, you know, I was a Stephen Harper supporter 100%. But, 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 there's always a big fat but. Mm. I'm thankful that Stephen Harper was not prime minister uh, on 9-11. I wonder what, what it would have looked like if Donald Trump was president on 9-11. Um, wow. Um, well? You know, I'm going to... I don't know how you're going to take this, but um, I think 9-11, I, 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 I think Donald Trump might not have gone into uh, the Middle East. Uh, I, I think Donald Trump 
might have found, I, I know that sounds crazy. Donald Trump is seen as, you know, loose, loose cannon and he wants to have wars and stuff like that. The, the truth is I'm not a Trump supporter. I mean, everyone knows that. But uh, Donald Trump did not start wars. Uh, you know, Donald Trump, uh, you know, look at the Donald Trump uh, track record um, as far as uh, going into, uh, you know, foreign entanglements. It's uh, crystal clear that he's not one of them. He was the one who arranged to end Afghanistan. I don't I don't like the way Afghanistan ended, but that's that's besides the point. I don't think that Donald Trump necessarily I think Donald Trump definitely would have ordered serious attacks, whether they were with special forces or drones on specific terrorists, I'm not sure that Donald Trump would have gone into Afghanistan. Uh, and I'm not sure that Donald Trump would have gone into Afghanistan uh, to fight the Taliban if he didn't have the support of Pakistan. Uh, so I, I, I wouldn't leap to the conclusion that uh, that 9-11, had Donald Trump been the president, would have resulted in uh, in World War III. I'm not a f- fan of Trump, but I'm also not a fan of hysteria. Cadmus Rex in our live chat says, well, Trump's also said we have nukes. Why don't we use them? Um, others are saying ACAT says uh, Trump wouldn't have been president on 9-11 because his image was assisted by a show, The Apprentice, which didn't air till 2005. Sure. Uh, I saw that you shared the, the, the video. This is this is one of the more mind boggling uh, clips that I've ever heard of Trump, which says a lot. Remember, he called into to News 9 yeah. uh, in New York City. Uh, as 9-11's unfolding, he calls in, and they take him then as the billionaire property developer, sure. obviously a huge property uh, holder uh, in Manhattan at the time, uh, talking about how 40 Wall Street, one of his buildings, had been the tallest tower in Manhattan before the Twin Towers were built. You have one of the landmark buildings down in the financial district, 40 Wall Street. Uh, did you have any damage, or did you know what, what's happened down there? Well, it was an amazing phone call I made. 40 Wall Street actually was the second tallest building in downtown Manhattan. And, and it was actually, before the World Trade Center, was the tallest. And then when they built the World Trade Center, it became known as the second tallest, and now it's the tallest. What? Like I was watching. The I was fires watching are that, still that. burning. I'm not saying I was watching it live because I wasn't watching that particular uh, channel, but I, I saw that clip uh, several times, and I thought to myself, I mean, th- this is the this is the king of jerks. And, of course, this was before Celebrity Apprentice. But if someone had told me on that day, just like if someone had told me on that day that someday the PGA would take itself to the next level by uh, joining uh, with, with with Saudi capital, um, I would have said you're crazy. And I, and if someone had told me that uh, this guy who just uh, bragged about his building uh, being the tallest because uh, the, the tallest building had been destroyed and thousands of people have been killed, um, if someone had told me that this guy will, is going to be a national TV star someday, I'd say you, you got to be crazy. Uh, this guy is, uh, you know, off, 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 off the wall, zero empathy, uh, monster. Uh, get him out of my face. I appreciate this from uh, the Twitter account Purple High Tops, who says, hey, a lot of us are angry and are vocal about Canadian arms deals with the Saudis, Jespo. Uh, appreciate mm-hmm. that person chiming in. You can always, of course, hit us up with our hashtag RealTalkRJ. I'm talking to uh, Charles Adler. So you say, you know, right now the, the Canadian, the conservatives have been your party. And right now you got some issues with them. You don't hide that. You talk about it often. I would imagine you were playing, paying at least 
relatively close attention to what went down in Quebec City over the weekend as Canada's conservatives hosted their annual convention. I know a bunch of people personally that, that were there. What were some of the sort of the, the key moments that jumped out at you over the weekend? There's lots to talk about for well, sure. Well, I, I thought that uh, Pauly have delivered a great uh, speech uh, overall. Yeah. If you put those highly prolific criminals in jail, you'll have less crime. Now, liberals and New Democrats say this is so simplistic and you'll have to build all these jails. Funny thing is, when we did it under the previous conservative government, not only did we bring crime down by 25%, incarceration rates actually fell. Why? Because we targeted the worst offenders and we scared all the other potential offenders away. So we had so much less crime, we actually needed less prison space. It's common sense, my friends. Um, and uh, Mulroney was one of those people who uh, who commented. Uh, Mulroney even said that, uh, I mean, you know, Mulroney was a bit self-effacing. It took himself out of the situation, but said that in, in his mind, the greatest uh, conservative speech I delivered at, at a convention. It was a very, very effective speech. It was well put together. Yes, I disagree with some of the points. I, I, I honestly do not understand why um, Polyev's conservatives still have to play this this violin about uh, rescuing the children and that uh, uh, you know the school systems are are, are trying to uh, enable uh, uh, you know pedophiles and, and and groomers and 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 cutting children up and stuff I, you know the all that QAnon stuff that uh, the US right wing is so crazy about I mean when you're leading in the polls like this but most important when you're leading in in two specific areas, You've got the number one issue in the country, affordability, where the conservatives are off the charts ahead of the liberals, okay? That's on the number one issue. And then, of course, on the issue of who do you want as prime minister, Polyev is now well ahead of Justin Trudeau. When you're leading in those categories, why why do you have to why do you have to go to the peanut gallery? Uh, why do you have to uh, uh, to do this this other this, this social conservative? Stuff? I understand the business part of it. Uh, um, you know, you're a rural-based party. That's still where you have the most amount of enthusiasm. That's still where you're getting most of your money. And those people are all all jacked up about uh, this idea that um, parents have got to take the country back, take the schools back, all that David Parker stuff you mentioned a few moments ago, Ryan, that you're yeah. still getting lots of reaction on David Parker. So I, I understand all of that. But I'm just talking macro here. Uh, I'm talking about history. You know, we're talking about 9-11 today. Uh, his, historically speaking, the Conservative Party, if it stays with, uh, an economic focus of what I would call a common sense focus on affordability. Uh, they are now well ahead of the liberals. And if they don't stray into these other areas, they don't give the liberals an opportunity uh, to portray the conservatives as let's, let, let, let's, uh, you know, just say it the way uh, people on, on the street would say it as kind of uh, a cheap version of the, of the American Republicans. And uh, I know that doesn't matter. And, in, in, in some parts of Western Canada, but, you know, I, I focus on where the battlegrounds are and the, the suburbs of Toronto and the suburbs of Vancouver and, you know, the suburbs of Montreal, of course, um, and, 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 and Atlantic Canada. There's, there's no need to become a cheap version of the U.S. Republicans for the conservatives to, to win in two years. Well, not only no need, but it's, it's just a stupid move strategically, <laughs> right? And like I, I would just say, I mean, we had a great conversation with Shachi Curl last week, the president yeah. of, of Angus Reid, the, the polling firm, obviously, known across the country. Yeah. And, and she said, you know, when you're looking at polling, their polling that suggests that uh, twice as many Canadians 
polled, uh, they obviously didn't talk to 40 million of us, but twice as many polled say that they see Poliev as the better option for prime minister over Trudeau. And so we dig into this and I say, what do you make of this? And and she goes, yeah, yeah, the, these are the facts. And I thought she did a, a great job of, of, of breaking it down. But she also said, this isn't like a, a ringing endorsement of Poliev as much as it is an indictment of Trudeau. It yeah, just it's goes- basically saying that, it, I mean, the, the people are saying and the people have this 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 feeling, and it doesn't matter why the feeling is there, and you can analyze it to death, but sometimes analysis becomes becomes worthless. It is what it is. Um, Trudeau's best buy date has expired. Okay, so you know you 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 love that you love that uh, milk, sour cream, you know whatever whatever it is you have in the fridge, but not yogurt that fridge, lasts forever. Okay, but but you know the fridge is. The fridge is going to get a little stinky if you don't get the cold cuts and the and and, and the milk out of there because it's been there for too long. And um, Trudeau's got to find a way of, you know, doing Trudeau 2.0 because Trudeau 1.0, the shelf life is, as I say, gone. I mean that that's that's what you're seeing here. So when 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 people uh, say that they'd rather a Polyev than Trudeau, it's not like people are dancing in the streets. There is no Polyev mania. Uh, but you don't have to have polyev mania. People are ready for a change. I just don't, once again, I, I don't want to be a broken record in this. I, I just don't understand why the, the, the conservatives have to do a, a David Parker routine to win. I mean, frankly, I mean, let's take it right to Alberta. Let's take it right to your doorstep, uh, Ryan. Do you honestly believe that Danielle Smith needed to do a David Parker routine to, 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 for the UCP? To remain in government? Well, there's, Seriously. There, there's two conversations to be had, um, and, and live chat is coming alive here, which is great to see. Like, you know, Alyssa, for example, says nobody's going to talk about Polyev's wife delivering a speech. Anada Polyev spoke at the convention. She says she is no longer off limits as family. I would suggest that the spouse of a, of a leader is never off limits. It would never be treated as limits, as off limits, but she did speak as well. But but I want to I want to bring this back for a quick second to say that whether you're talking about Daniel Smith appealing to David Parker or or whatever or Aaron O'Toole making some of the sort of what seemed to be unchar- uncharacteristic comments from from the O'Toole playbook a few years back when yeah. he was seeking the conservative leadership, same as as Pierre Polyev now. Like there, there's there's the the person campaigning for party leadership and then there's the person campaigning for premier or prime minister. And to bring this back to the point of what Shachi said about Polyev, you know, double polling Trudeau and best PM and all this kind of stuff is like the, the number one playbook right now is keep going with what works and, and, and pardon my French, but don't fuck up the other stuff. And so right now, if you look at the biggest momentum that the conservatives are gaining, it's easy. It's simple to identify. It's going to be the fodder for our Real Talk Roundtable this Friday. It's the housing crisis, affordability. All, People care all, all more. Have- Chuck, keep, Canadians care more. And, and this is polling. Okay, this is, Canadians yeah. care more about now about the housing crisis than they do about the opioid crisis. They care more yes. about housing than they do about, for example, the climate, uh, about environment, about climate change. That's what Canadians are saying. So 
you got to send the message to the grassroots, but some will not be swayed because they never have been and never will be that now is not the time to obsess over things like, you know, sort of, uh, you know, what, what do you want to call it? Like uh, gender affirming medical care for teens yeah, or now is yeah, not the time to yeah, obsess yeah. over things like no. trans women in bathrooms. But people want to sink their teeth into that stuff at convention because convention is when the grassroots gets to have a say. Unfortunately, it's also one of the biggest platforms when you send a message to the rest of the country, including yeah. those who are the voters you hope to attract. Well, you know, uh, you, you've said it extremely well. The grassroots uh, love this stuff, but let's just talk about something that actually matters, okay? And nobody's going to be called a pedo or a groomer for saying this. Food and shelter matter. Mm-hmm. Food is still an issue because the price of food is an issue. And shelter is an issue not just because there's a, a lack of a supply in many cases, but what there is is too expensive and the interest rates are making it really expensive. Some people who have to renew their mortgages are, are, are finding out that, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's really bad news bears, as we used to say. So, I mean, I've told politicians this over the years, whether they're liberals or, or conservatives. Uh, look, guys, uh, when, uh, when, when food and shelter uh, is an issue and food and shelter are not on your side, uh, you can expect to lose unless you do something uh, dramatic because food and shelter are always, I mean, people talk about healthcare and climate, they're all important. But in terms of the real world that people live in, if their food and or shelter is in jeopardy, you're in jeopardy. Ken on the live chat says, Mr. Adler, they don't have to do these things. That's simply who most of the party is now. Ken says, I was a a PC, a progressive conservative supporter as well, says we are political orphans, sir. Do you get that sense from convention? Well, yeah, for sure. Because, I mean, I I was one of those, you know, Mulroney talked about how this was a great thing. I was one of those people who uh, rooted uh, for the conservatives, uh, voted for the conservatives, and and, and really enjoyed uh, some of those conventions. But when 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 uh, you know i'll just use the david parker uh term because it, it works for for this conversation when they go david parker on me at a national convention they lose me yeah and it, it does make me feel like an orphan but from a just from a pragmatic point of view i don't see the point all polyev has to do between now and the next go whether it's next year or the year after that is be prime ministerial every every day when when he looks in the mirror he should uh, just say, okay, I today I am going to go through this day as if I were the prime minister, not as a, as, as a click whore uh, looking for the most amount of clicks, uh, looking for the most amount of controversy, looking to own the libs and, and all that kind of stuff that I enjoy doing because I know he enjoys doing it. But no, uh, today I'm not going to be a click whore. I'm going to be a prime minister. If, if he does that, it's going to be very difficult to beat him. Yeah. Um I'm referencing CTV's reporting on the convention. They said the the parties, the conservative party's first openly transgender candidate, former Aaron O'Toole policy advisor, Hannah Hodson, uh, spoke with CTV. Um, Hannah left the party after Polyev won the leadership, said that she was ashamed to see the party decide to focus on attacking some of the most vulnerable people in Canada. Quote, when there are so many important things to deal with as a country, uh, Hudson saying that her concern now is how this will play out with liberals and NDP likely to pounce on these policies as a culture war wedge issue. We talked about that with Shachi last week. If you missed it, make sure you check it out. Melissa Lanceman, uh deputy leader for the conservatives um, out herself. 
uh, told our friend Vashi Capello says that uh, she wrote that uh, for the conservative movement to grow, uh, support for LGBTQ2S plus people cannot be up for debate, said, quote, what I will say is the conservatives believe in the dignity of every single Canadian, no matter where you come from, and that nothing Polyev has said will make her question that. The message has however, to However, however, you know, she can make the case that nothing Polyev has said, but it's what Polyev chooses not to say. Mm. Polyev has got to find an opportunity at some point to say to the people who do who do want to harm LGBT, he has to find an opportunity to say, not in my Canada, not in my party. Uh, he, he's got to find a way to do that because if he doesn't, this will affect him. And culture wars, no matter how many people talk about, uh, only the basic issues matter. And, uh, you know, as I've said a few moments ago, food and shelter matters. They're also looking for majority. If you're looking for that majority, then you, you've got to listen to what Lanceman is saying. LGBT is very much a part of the country. And to to still go, I mean, I, I hear some, you know, sort of, let's just call them the right-wing nutjob uh, conservatives, uh, the ones I never got along with, who keep saying, Chuck, do you don't understand the LGBT, real LGBT community is, is less than 10%. Even if, even if that's the case, okay, let's just take that number, 10%. Those 10% have friends. Those 10% have fathers and mothers. And if your child, if your brother, if your sister, if your father or mother is LGBT and these assholes are bashing them day and night publicly at conventions, never mind what they're doing privately, and the leader, Pierre Polya, who's supposed to have moral authority, if he doesn't talk back to that, you've got a problem. Charles Adler joins us the first episode of every week right here on Real Talk. He's the host of the Charles Adler Show. Make sure you subscribe to his podcast. And, of course, you can follow him on X, on Twitter, at Charles Adler. It's nice to see you, pal. Thank you, Ryan. Uh, some of the other, and, and again, let me let us put this out to you, real talkers. Uh, you know where to find us, talk at ryanjesperson.com. A ton of emails last week. I don't know. It's fantastic. We thought, you know, back to school. Everybody's, y'all are onto this stuff. Uh, knowing that this can be the home for meaningful debate on issues that matter. What jumped out at you over the weekend? I see uh, someone in the live chat apologizing. It was saying, where are all the progressive conservatives? Where are all those people speaking out? Had a really interesting conversation with a friend over the weekend. He's a little bit older than me. And uh, he was a, uh, you know, a significant player. Uh, in the in the progressive conservative, let's say in the later years of the dynasty in Alberta, as a behind the scenes person, uh, as as an advisor and a, and a senior person now working in 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 lobbying, and, and sort of said, kind of gets the sense in Western Canada, maybe in Alberta, he gets the sense that a lot of the people that came up through the, you know, I mean, maybe maybe the Lougheed years, but the Getty years for sure, the Klein years for sure. And then, you know, Stelmack and everybody else that that followed Hancock and Redford and every, you know, them, like they kind of, in his words, got kind of got the sense that they had done the work, like that, that their time was done and that now is the time for the new generation. It's a lot of work. It's, it's a lot of work to get elected and to stay elected. It's a lot of work to keep all the constituency associations in, in walking, you know, in lockstep and, and staying focused and staying disciplined and and keeping that party where it needs to be. And and I said, well, what do you think about who it's falling on to do the work? And he says, well, the people that are most willing to do the work are the people that are going to control the direction of the party. And so unless you have 
a loud voice or a significant portion of that party base, that membership that says, hey, it seems like the door is open for us now, talking about the federal conservatives. It seems like we've got a real opportunity to win back government. It seems like we got a real opportunity to, to make Pierre Polyev the next prime minister of Canada. So how do we make sure that happens? And what are some of the pitfalls that we have to avoid? Unless you're committed and feeling conviction at a grassroots level that there are things that, that just politically, strategically aren't smart to wade into, then, well, you're going to deal with those consequences. So we'll see. Still two years away from an election, but if you're not going to talk about it, on a show like this, where are you going to talk about it? You know, some of the other things that, that maybe jumped out over the weekend, Polyev talked a lot about safety, uh, talked about bail reform, talked a lot about you know whether or not they need to build new jails. He doesn't think they do. Uh, he thinks that the, the, the bail reform uh, angle is one that probably needs the biggest focus. I'd probably be inclined to agree with him there. Uh, he talked about gun ownership. He talked about reversing bans on hunters and licensed sport shooters. He said that the government under his leadership would sue, uh, in his, in his uh, description, corrupt pharmaceutical companies that profited from lying about the dangers and addictiveness of opioids that have caused hell on our streets. Uh, he said that conservatives would offer treatment, uh, not decriminalized and tax-funded drugs, which, of course, is where the conservatives and the liberals would perhaps be most at loggerheads on that file believing that the conservatives do that detox options would be more important than things like supervised consumption services. We've debated that and talked about that a lot on this show. Uh, he believes that we need to rebuild our military at home. Uh, he said that we need to repeal Trudeau's censorship laws and restore freedom of speech on Canadian campuses. That's, that's, that's a little red meat for the base for sure. And uh, whatever that means, whatever that would translate into the federal government setting policy for universities, I don't know. Uh, we've seen hints at that in past conservative politicians at provincial and federal levels talking about funding for post-secondary institutions and, and how funding could be impacted in either direction uh, by the stance or even the tone that a post-secondary institution takes or sets when it comes to so-called free speech. Uh, again, culture wars being fought right here in Canada. I know I keep saying it, but if you missed our conversation last week with Shachi Girl, we get into that as well, and I encourage you to check that out. Want to get to some more of your thoughts in our live chat and some of the emails. We're going to get into the Real Talk mailbag in, in just a quick second, but I wanted to let you know that, that if you live in and around Edmonton, you're invited uh, tomorrow to the Inflation Cafe. This is kind of an, an interesting initiative that's hosted by Civic Service Union 52, uh, CSU 52. You can find them online at edmontonforeveryone.ca from 1130 in the morning to 1 in the afternoon at Churchill Square, right outside City Hall, which is definitely not an accident. Uh, tomorrow, they're going to be hosting an inflation cafe pop-up, and uh, the first 200 people that show up there are going to receive a complimentary lunch from the members of CSU 52 with a twist. It's going to be a unique demonstration to show the effects of inflation and provide a platform for open dialogue about the challenges that community members are facing due to rising living costs. You'll hear from CSU 52 members, community leaders, and concerned Edmontonians directly impacted by the current economic challenge. Again, 11.30 to 1 tomorrow. That's Tuesday, September 12th at Churchill Square. It's Inflation Cafe. Free lunch for the first 200 who show up. 
That's supported by, presented by Civic Service Union 52. At Friesen Brothers, we were teasing it all last week, letting you know we're going to be talking about the Alberta Beef Roundup. Well, it is back. You can learn details at Friesen.com. It's a tradition that Friesen Brothers has maintained since 1955. And this year, they've got two options, a custom cup whole hip. This is a custom cut whole hip. It weighs like 70 pounds uh, and a 50 pound freezer pack featuring the finest Alberta beef. So they take their skilled butchers at Friesen Brothers. They handle all the cutting and wrapping in store just the way your family likes. You can go custom. And this event lasts for just two weeks every year. Okay. So you can check it out online. Uh, Friesen.com slash beef roundup is where you'll find it. Friesen Brothers is Alberta grown and Alberta owned. If you're a professional engineer, if you got your PNG anywhere in Canada, Apex Automation wants to hear from you. Uh, they're looking to hire electrical engineers, instrumentation engineers. Uh, those of you that are professionals in computer science, uh, process or mechanical engineers, also electricians and instrument technicians, they're building a well-rounded team that can deliver turnkey projects for their clients. They know that nobody can do that on their own. It takes a team, and that's why Apex Automation has made such a commitment to that. They test drive everything, every system before it's put into place. They bring their clients into their Apex headquarters right here in Edmonton to make sure that before these automation systems are installed and ready to go on site, everybody understands what's going on. This is a company that operates a little bit different than its competitors and it shows, including the value they put on their people ahead of their profits. You can learn more, including checking out the careers link at apexautomation.ca. And we're putting out a shout out to decision makers, whether you work for a municipality somewhere in Alberta and Saskatchewan, whether you own a business or, or simply are in charge of operations. If garbage and recycling contracts come across your desk, you're going to want to make sure you check out localenvironmental.ca. A lot of people might think, well, it's just garbage, but, but not them. They believe that communities deserve better. And that includes better service, better prices, and more support for local causes. So, if, for example, you're working out of Edmonton or Whitecourt or Regina, and you're looking for a full-service environmental solutions partner, find out why by local has established itself as the most trustworthy name in waste management. You can learn more about their services and get a quote by checking out localenvironmental.ca. Hmm. What do you remember about September 11th, 2001? Were you working morning radio at that time? or uh, No, I was I was actually still living in Ontario. I was thinking about that this morning. I ah. remember I was sleeping in. It was, uh, you know, a weekday, obviously. And I, uh, <laughs> I remember my stepdad at the time coming down and shaking me awake violently <laughs> around 9 a.m. Because, uh, you know, we're on the same time zone as New York. And yeah. uh, he said, they're bombing us. I remember those words specifically. They're bombing us. And I said, what? And he said, get up and look at the TV. At that time, of course, you know, internet wasn't as prevalent. Yeah. Uh, no and, social media, really, yeah. at that time. And I just remember that one shot of the tower they were staying on, on CNN, on every news channel. And we were watching CNN. But, I, I you know, as I learned more, I, I kind of got what he was saying you know not there bombing us but just we didn't know anything right yeah but we obviously knew when that second plane hit that this was not a mistake but it was interesting because i was watching some of the footage over the weekend of of you know how people thought it was an accident at first when the first plane had hit right yeah you know a low-flying plane possibly that, right? running out of fuel possibly trying to land in the 
in, in the river, you know, knew, and, yeah. and all this stuff. And it was really remarkable to watch that stuff back. And, and then I was thinking about kids these days and what, what they might think, people who weren't born in that time looking back at the footage and whether it's as impactful, because it's so impactful to me watching it. Because I remember the day, I'm sure, I'm sure everyone does, if you were, if you were of a, you know, of a of the of a ripe age to to be able to comprehend what was going on it was just it was one of the most it, it's probably the day i remember the most out of any day of my life yeah event wise according to politics and world events yeah. you talk yeah if you talk to kind of the generation before us or what i mean it depends i mean and obviously i know our our, our audience we, we we have high schoolers that mm-hmm. tune into real talk and people in their 80s that are in touch with us but you know you will remember based on your age like jfk being shot yeah right or you you would remember pearl harbor mm-hmm. or you, you you'd sort of have these moments mm-hmm. um i re- i remember vividly like just as a as a young boy a younger boy anyway but i remember like the berlin wall coming down yeah. like, that was amazing major one that I can think of but 9-11 sort of seared itself into a lot of people's memory because there hadn't been that was sort of like the first like you said for that generation that was kind of that first moment where it was Mm -hmm. like you're using the word we like we were under attack it was like democracy or the United States our neighbors or or what have you I remember him saying they're bombing us and I just still remember him saying that so vividly in my mind because it really did feel like that it felt like north america the west in general was under attack i think before that the the thing i remembered most before 9-11 was oklahoma city as well that was just yeah like, that was a huge event right yeah absolutely um you know people were people are writing in and sharing their personal memories uh tracy says i remember that day uh vividly things seem to be kind of normal status quo here in Alberta. i thought everything would shut down but it seemed like nothing changed uh that from tracy i remember for us it was such a strange day we had uh some friends of mine um who, who are now i mean geez how life passes they, they were just announcing they had just been married and they were they were uh, we were meeting for a drink and uh, she didn't order a drink. And then that was the day where they're going to tell us like she's expecting. And, and, and now their son is like grown and out mm-hmm. of the house and they've, the marriage has since ended and life, life just changes for everybody over yeah. the course of 22 years. But I remember that sitting in a, in, in one of a spot where we used to like go grab a bite to eat together. And we were one of the only people in there and this is a pub and the pub, all the TVs obviously were still on, CNN or Fox or whatever channel they had it on mm-hmm. with the volume up like news coverage full volume in a pub which is bizarre I mean you I think that's the only time I've ever seen it in my life yeah and uh and I'll never forget that it was just kind of like a strange experience to be feeling joy for them in a circumstance yeah uh, on a personal level but shock and sorrow and 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 quite frankly fear yeah uh and all the other experiences that you know that millions of people were having around the world mm-hmm. it's yeah. weird you mentioned that too because i remember that as well I, I i think i was just 19 or 20 then and i remember going into a pub too that same week like a day or two after and still the news was on the news was on in like the local the local watering hole it, at full volume, right? And I remember driving around with my friends for like a week after, and all we we would never we'd be listening to at that time CDs, music, whatever. All we were listening to was the news. All we were listening to was talk radio. All yeah. we were and all the stories coming in of the heroes on the one flight that may have taken it down before it reached its destination, and all these things. And it really did feel it was it was a, it's a sad, but it was a strange uniting point. Yeah. Uh, for all of North America at that time. A good point from Kimberly, who says not only no social media in 2001, but there wasn't even text messaging. 
So we were only really, really. we were only getting real time news through the cable outlets, yeah. uh, which is a great point. Um, you know, others of you are sharing like uh, Aitken says uh, the Mount St. Helens eruption mm. uh, is what jumped out at her. That's kind of the, the moment that she remembered. Others of you were saying the, the Reagan assassination attempt. Here's one. Here's one. I really remember. I don't think. Well, I wouldn't speak for you, but you're, you're a younger fella. <laughs> I only you, say that. Well, you would, you would have been like younger. You would have been. Uh, what year were you born? When did Challenger explode? 86? Oh, I, think. I don't. Yeah. I don't Someone remember. wrote the Challenger explosion. Yeah. That, that I remember that. I think I was in grade two mm-hmm. i remember that one that was uh, and remember there was a t because we, we had been paying attention in class ahead of time mm-hmm. um celebrating this because there was a roberta what was her i think there was a teacher on board challenger uh, oh that's she, right she was going up and and she was obviously killed with the rest of them and so i remember feeling that just as a child trying to process i you know, i have such a vivid memory i won't turn this into krista personal. mccoffee krista that's mccoffee it, yeah. thank you yeah. very much roberta bodnar is the is the female astronaut is the mm-hmm. astronaut no but i remember that image of her with, with she had like curly hair i remember that was plastered yeah. everywhere yeah yeah absolutely um roberta bondar canadian astronaut that's who i was thinking of oh, okay. oh oh and by the way in the other part of her career she's also a neurologist <laughs> jeez imagine being her sibling you're like <laughs> what do you do uh I work in radio. Astronauts are never what just happened? astronauts. No, they're Remember never... when we had, what was her name on here? Uh, are you talking about Katie? Yeah, Astro Katie? She was talking Katie about you have to be like an exceptional pilot to even be an astronaut. To even but be that, considered to be. A, but yeah. then you're not just that. You're usually always like, you know, a biologist or a scientist or something. Yeah. Else. Can we talk about peak Pierre before we move on? Sure. I saw Tawny like. make a really good comment there. Okay. I feel like. We're, we're kind of haven't talked about that. It's still two years to the election. Oh, it's an eternity. And there, we have no idea what kind of events, social issues, uh, the liberals and Trudeau, what they're cooking up. But uh, I really do think he's peaking right now. I, I really like that comment from Holy Tommy. F? And and there could be a fizzle. Like I agree, if there was an election today, it, it'd be Pierre and Trudeau would be out. But we have two two years. Two years is a long time for bad things to happen to the conservatives and, and Pierre and mistakes and for Trudeau and the liberals to figure something out. Well, we're not even to. mentioning uh, the NDP under the leadership yeah. of Jagmeet Singh. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, that that polling that Shachi took us into last week, the Angus Reid polling, uh, like, uh, you know, Singh is pulling two points behind Trudeau. Mm-hmm. Like he's, he's right there. Um, I hate to say this to. You know, audience members that may vote NDP, federally speaking, but I just don't. And this is not even meant to be a shot at at Jagmeet Singh. It's more a shot just at the party's direction and policy. And I, I just don't think. I just spit it. I don't think that people take him seriously as a, as an option for prime minister. I just I can't see. I think mm. Jack Layton to me. Who knows though? Maybe I'd be proven wrong, but. I just think that Jack Layton was was like represented the best chance that that party will have in 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 the next number of decades. Quite frankly, maybe I'll be proven wrong um, to form government. I just think that too many Canadians feel um, and this is based on maybe a small sample size. This is like based on on what people write into real talk. This is based on what people say to me to my face um, as too much of a threat to to sort of like the institutions of I think that people get skittish when they think about what the business landscape might look like. I think people get I don't think that the the federal NDP has done enough to uh, assuage people's fears about what budget deficit might look like, Mm -hmm. what spending. I think people are under the impression that 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 an NDP government, federally speaking, if you believe that I'm being unfair, email the show, let us, you know, um, but I, I think that I just don't think that people, that Canadians are prepared to hand the NDP 
the bank account. Yeah, I the, know. you know, I just I just don't think I people knew you were going to say I don't money. Think, I don't. Th- I think it comes down yeah. to money. Yeah, I don't think that I don't think that Jagmeet Singh has said anything that's that's ridiculous or preposterous any more than the other leaders. Anyway, um, I don't think that there's anything about him personally that 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 rubs me the wrong way. Anyway, but I just think there's something about the perception that people have about that party mm-hmm. that, for whatever reason, and and maybe it is unfair, but for whatever reason, people just don't. Like, look at the way that we have our conversations. We talk about Trudeau and Polyev, and then we have to make intentionally say and sing. Yeah. And like, whoever's leading the Green Party, yeah. just, you know, out of out of interest <laughs> of, of keeping it objective. Yeah. But I just, I think that that's too big of a hill to climb. And Huge. so, you know, then you have people right now that are supporting the NDP that are going to be, uh, if that's one out of every five voters federally, let's say roughly speaking-ish, mm. um, do they believe that the NDP has has accomplished enough in its you know, partnership in propping up the liberals to as, as sort of this quasi-majority government, which it's not. Now they're tied to But them. budgets and confidence votes, you know, which is kind of the same thing, pass because the NDP are supporting the liberals. Mm-hmm. Uh, will NDP voters give Jagmeet Singh an indication that they believe that they've accomplished mm-hmm. enough with that? Uh, part of that will probably be pharmacare, dental care, yeah. stuff like that. And I like how you mentioned housing, too, because, I mean, economists are saying in 2024, we're supposed to get some kind of positive on that landscape. So if housing is the biggest thing to people and that changes and gets better, there could be different outcomes for, you know, two years from now, yeah. but it's definitely peak Pierre right now. I like that comment from yeah. Tony. Great to see a uh, former Calgary counselor and former candidate for Calgary mayor, Jeremy Farkas in the live chat this morning. He's going to be joining us this week on our housing roundtable. He says, speaking from personal experience, having such a commanding lead this early mm-hmm. is not a good thing. Mm-hmm. That from Jeremy Farkas. Uh, so you'll be hearing more from him uh, on this show this week. Speaking of Angus Reid and Shachi Curl and, and, and the questions that, that they're asking as part of their polling, um, we got this message from Gerald. I appreciated this. We wanted to dig into our mailbox today. Uh, we always, we're always asking you for emails. That means we got to make time to read some of them, right? Uh, Gerald says uh, to me, and uh, we were, I know that I, I tweeted something, a personal opinion, which which is the way that I feel, like it or not, uh, in, in so many ways as you may agree with me or disagree on, on some other things. Uh, this last week, I, I, I sort of something that Shachi said resonated with me, which is that the majority of Canadians in talking about policies that New Brunswick and Saskatchewan have implemented, and I suspect other provinces may not be far behind, certainly not all of them, but some of them, uh, including Alberta, wouldn't be surprised. Uh, New Brunswick and Saskatchewan says that parents, uh, with the exception in extreme circumstances where students' uh, well-being may be in danger at home, which is in itself obviously a very sad reality, uh, that parents should be notified. If a student changes their pronouns as they're registered in the school system, um, and if they're under a certain age, 16 or 18, or, or whatever you believe that the age should be, we can talk about different circumstances. And, and Shachi talked about where Canadians that were polled by Angus Reid land on this. And the majority of Canadians believe that a parent should be notified. Now, a lower number, a lesser number, believe that the parent should have to approve the change. That, In other words, that the school needs to have parental permission to change it. Uh, should a parent know about it, have a right to know about it, or should a parent have the final say in it? And I think that those are two different, they may be nuanced positions, but but I don't see it as that nuanced. I think those are two completely different situations. And that's why I tweeted about it last week. I do think that with the exception of extreme circumstances that a parent should know. Uh, so a parent can provide appropriate supports, know where their kid's at. Um, and, and, and again, I think that this is a, this is a gray area. 
Um, and it's an area that makes some people uncomfortable to go on the record. Shachi and I talked about that. Why would a person want to go public on their opinion on this if they know they're going to be ripped to shreds on Twitter or on Facebook or, or torn apart by people who see it differently than them? Uh, people will talk about you know whether a kid's participation in a gay-straight alliance at school, whether or not the parents should be notified of it. And the, and the, the common uh, response to that has simply been, well, parents aren't notified if a kid joins archery club or a parent's not notified if a kid joins the track team. Well, like, in a way, they are, right? And in a way, kids have parental consent forms or permission forms sent home all the time about things, you know, like a field trip. And someone's going to right now blow me up on, on, on social media and say, well, are you comparing a, a kid's pronouns and gender identity to going on a field trip, you ignoramus? That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that the schools don't operate autonomously outside of parental awareness on issues. And this is one where I think we should have important conversations about it. I also don't think that we should blow this out of proportion and act like the future of the nation rests on this debate. I think we should find somewhere in the middle. But Gerald doesn't believe that Angus Reid was asking the right question at all on the issue. He says, to me, the questions on pronouns are not the questions that need to be asked. Everyone's acting like the school's going to be hiding things from parents. Gerald says, well, now, I, you know, I don't run a polling business, okay? So I don't know exactly the perfect questions, but they should focus on two specific topics. Number one, if a child informs their school that they wish to use a different pronoun or a different name or identify as a different gender should the school ask them if their parents are aware before talking to the parents interesting question and number two if the child says that their parents are not aware and in particular not supportive how should the school proceed and that's the whole question Gerald hits the nail on the head that's the whole thing if my child told their school, says Gerald, if they wanted to use a different pronoun, I don't need the school to call me because there's a 99.9% .9 chance that I already know. And if I didn't, and if my child felt unsafe telling me, I'd want them to talk to counselors at the school to help them feel safe telling me if that was the right course of action. Gerald says, we talk a lot about parents' rights. We got to consider children's rights as well. That's a great email from Gerald, and I appreciate it. You remember the conversation that we had with uh, TSN's Claire Hanna and then with uh, uh, Radio Hall of Famer and Program Director Jackie Ray Greening? Uh, the episode is, is titled, Why Aren't There More Women in Broadcasting? It was, it was about two weeks ago that we had this conversation. It was uh, prompted by a, a, a bit of a blow up uh, in our home city of Edmonton as a new sports station launched and uh, one of the prominent personalities on that radio station jason gregor longtime veteran talk host told mark Connolly, another radio host on the cbc that he didn't think that it mattered that they didn't have any women on their on their initial announcement of who's going to be hosting the shows on this new station and, and obviously it exploded stuff like that always does on social media maybe even more than in real life but it prompted a really important conversation i'm glad that we did that show that episode and based on the podcast downloads you are as well. It resonated with a lot of people. And Lauren wrote in and said, I've, I've been sitting on this for, for, for like quite some time. Like we said, the show was about two weeks ago. Uh, Lauren just sent this in and said, I, I wanted to see if your interview with uh, Hall of Fame broadcaster Jackie Ray Greening was still pissing me off before I wrote in. And she said, and it is. What was your first thought when you heard the Gregor Connolly interview last week? Uh, you know what? I, I thought... Um 
Do I wish he had articulated it better? Absolutely. Did he say women didn't matter? Absolutely not. Uh, do I wish he had a woman as a, as a host of one of the shows? Yeah, that would be awesome. But I think when we launch on September 5th, uh, people are going to be really pleasantly surprised as to who he has as co-host, who he has as regular weekly guests. There's going to be great female representation on that show. So I thought it was just a lot of hoobaloo about uh, nothing. I, I really feel that we are going to super serve the gals just A-OK. And, and I think uh, I'm, I'm going to be one of them, so I'll be there. So after a cooling off period, here's my reaction. Uh, what I took from that interview is that her station doesn't need a diversity program because they hire based on merit. You obviously like know your way around a microphone, but you're also now in the business of recruiting, developing and managing talent. How does, you know, EDI like equity, diversity, and inclusion, how does that factor into how you approach your job? You know what? For me, it's always the best person for the job. Uh, and that's what my philosophy has always been. You know, I'm pretty lucky at CFCW because the team I've compiled here, you know, we're 50-50 with the male to females. Uh, we have two uh, two Indigenous announcers, but it was because they were the best. Uh, and and I've that's the way I've always hired. And I just find that when you do that, you bring it, your your sound is way more interesting. I find anyway, but I, it's the best person for the job always. Lauren says it's a load of crap. Lauren says she sounded like all the white men who told us that they hired and promoted people based on merit through the years in the seventies and the eighties and the nineties and the two thousands, which of course is why white men have always been in charge. Says Lauren. I was not impressed when she blew off misogyny in the workplace and basically suggested that women need to work hard and just put up with things the way they are. I mean, that's not what Jackie Ray said, but that's how it landed with Lauren. So that's what's important to Lauren. She says, I'm a couple of years older than her. Uh, the rampant sexual harassment and discrimination in many places I worked until about the last 10 years was absolutely not okay. And people in positions of management, let alone program directors, should be calling that stuff out, not shrugging it off. And her assertion that hiring based on merit results in a diversity of staff was even was very interesting. I've never heard that before. And I'd love to see data supporting that statement that would make it even more interesting. But I got to say, says Lauren, as a longtime sports fan, I was disappointed with the overall message to the gals, gals in quotes, of all ages. This old gal was not happy and won't be tuning in. And I also thought, Ryan, that you let her off too easy. What about having somebody on the show to discuss actual research, not anecdotes that show how merit-based hiring does not result in diversity? I bet there's lots to work with. Lauren says, my reaction to that interview surprised, surprised me. Like a lot of times people say stuff that rubs me the wrong way and it just rolls off. But this one just kept rubbing. So nice work, I guess. Not from Lauren. Lauren, we'll take that. Uh, idea that fodder we've actually got some some employment experts and workplace experts on our in our rolodex so to speak that uh, whose opinions i respect and, and i do think that would be interesting and so we'll put that on our working list this one from winch winch wrote in following our david parker interview the take back alberta founder joined us uh, a while ago and we're still getting i i don't know if you remember like with the last time we did a show where we got emails like a month after the three weeks after the fact still getting emails never i think it's like some people i think it's like they're they're back at like uh, hockey evaluation camps are going this week and the mm -hmm. kids are back in hockey kids are back in school there's parents talking again where they've been off for the summer and haven't had that communication yeah 
my guess is that people are starting to say, did you hear Parker on Real Talk? And that's why some people are a little bit late to the party. The water cooler. The water cooler. <laughs> you know, people are back. And so Winch says, uh, I-, I actually appreciated that interview with David Parker. He seems to be the, the kind of guy that if you start pushing him, like really grinding him, he'd shut you off and then go to his horde of supporters and get them all whipped up. And he said, I appreciate you did it on a Monday, which meant that Adler followed uh, and was allowed to share his open and true views of what David Parker is really like. I thought that one-two punch on that show was really good. Uh, that's my words, not Winch's. Winch says, Parker makes it sound like he has nothing to do with any of the views that his group is pushing, that he just sits back and lets the grassroots decide what direction they're going. Like, he is not homophobic. He's just speaking what the grassroots are telling him to say. You know, when he was talking about the role of a real woman being at home, raising kids, doing what God created them to do, he sounded like he'd love the Republic of Gilead, that Margaret Atwood's Handmaid's Tale would actually be a perfect fit for him. And then there's Adler, who paints him as, quite frankly, a scary person. And, and, and Winch says, and that's what I think Parker really is, the puppet master. And he says, and my biggest fear is that the UCP caucus, the United Conservatives, the Alberta government, essentially, are the puppets. Winch signs off by saying, the other day, my son and I, this is kind of a weird back-to-back observation, but he says, my son and I were in a grocery store, and, and, and an ad started playing through the speakers. And my son says, that sounds like Jespo. And he says, and all of a sudden we focused and I realized it was, it was you doing a Friesen Brothers read. He says, there's times when I come back from the dog park as well. And my son goes, uh, what's going on here? He says, why are you listening to headphones? He says, I'd prefer you don't listen to headphones. So Winch says, I wanted you to know that there's at least one 14 year old out there who might be a more avid talk show listener than his dad. Oh, got to be careful to hear that. Got to be careful. Got to be careful. What 14, we say today. 14, 14's old enough for the realities of life, don't you think? <laughs> every time I'm freezing, I hear you. Yeah. Every single can't get time. away, buddy. Every single can't, time. can't get away. And this from Curtis, you know, when we say to you, if you have an idea for a show, if you've got something you want us to talk about, send it in. I mean, this this is what Curtis did, and this is going to happen. He says, why not yet have we seen a Real Talk roundtable on the housing crisis? And, and honestly, I read the first sentence of that email, and I went, he's right. <laughs> it's time. Yeah, it is time. It is. Right? It is. He says, I mean, uh, and again, for all the 14-year, nah, your friends are saying this. What am I talking about? He says, things are fucked, says Curtis. Even in Alberta, uh, where you know it's hard to wrap your head around what was going on in Ontario and BC, but that storm has landed here too. And higher borrowing rates means higher costs for landlords, which means higher rents, which of course is piling on to the higher housing costs. It's like he says, so what are the solutions? Curtis says, now I'm in an interesting position because I'm a renter, but I also own rental properties because uh, I wanted to get into the market. Like being a renter can suck, but so can being a landlord. And Curtis says, I'm losing money on my rental properties as it speaks. He says, so, so, and Curtis is using his flamethrower here. So he says, so fuck boomers and also fuck NIMBYs, the not in my backyard crews who oppose new housing and fuck Calgary city council for that matter, for putting a panel together on how to build more housing only to vote against it. I guarantee you, Jeremy Farkas left something to say about that. He says, anyway, you know, Mike Moffat, city planners, builders, who knows? A lot of people probably have better answers than me, but I just wanted to point out that it's only getting worse for everybody who doesn't own a house without a fully paid off mortgage. This issue might even cost Justin Trudeau his job, even though the provinces and cities can do more for housing than he can. Well, that's not what they say, Curtis. They say that if the feds don't take action on this, there's barely anything they can do. But hey, continues Curtis, Trudeau built a pipeline for pickup truck lunatics instead of housing for the young people who voted him in. So what did he think was going to happen? That from Curtis, 
who's going to get what he asked for, and that's going to be a housing Real Talk roundtable coming up on Friday. You know, we don't have these conversations without Real Talk sponsors, our partners, like the team at Complete Care Restoration. And I wanted to take a second to let you know that if you're dealing with a gut punch right now, if your home or your business has been impacted or even destroyed by fire or flood, this is a situation where you know you can't mess around. you got to trust the professionals. And securing your home and its contents is the first priority of the team at Complete Care Restoration. They're highly trained in the strategic removal of building materials to allow to, uh, themselves to neutralize smoke orders and clean the real structure. They've got water damage technicians that understand the importance of cleanup and emergency demolition when things like black mold could come into play. And speaking of mold and asbestos, they've can train in sampling and analyzing materials to ensure that hazardous substances are properly addressed. At Complete Care Restoration, the safety of you and your family and theirs is of utmost importance. You can find them online at completecarerestoration.ca. We spent last uh, night, uh, yesterday evening, in our backyard. It's not quite complete exactly yet, but it's to the usable stage, which is such a big moment for us. We had the barbecue out, making Smokies, our outdoor space brought to life by the team at Eden Landscaping. Our Wyatt Rudy, he's our eight-year-old. He was playing on that. I gotta find out the name for the for the actual turf because I keep just calling it fake grass. AstroTurf. <laughs> I think that's the brand. That's <laughs> like jet not. ski, Kleenex, whatever it is. Uh, but this artificial turf that we've got in there is an absolute game changer. And Wyatt's there kicking his soccer ball around, and he turns around and he says to me, "Daddy, this is so much better than we just had dead grass and mud." And I went, "Oh my gosh! I hope that's not how he described our former yard to his classmates at school." But it's true. We had a vision, and Eden Landscaping is bringing it to life. As a full project manager, it meant from start to finish, they're the ones dealing with the issues. We're not having to deal with subcontractors or trades that are held unaccountable. They're great listeners. You can learn more about how they work by checking out landscapeedmonton.ca. Over this weekend, did you have a chance to check out a Dairy Queen in Northwest Edmonton or Sherwood Park? They've got their fall blizzard menu out right now, and I wanted to draw your attention to September's blizzard of the month. You can find this at the DQs in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. They've got a ton of flavors to love. I mean, there's always the classic score, Smarties, you know, Oreo, obviously, but every season they bring in some special treats, and that includes September's blizzard of the month. That's the pumpkin pie blizzard treat. It's time to check out this pumpkin flavored goodie. This is the must do list of anybody that's serious about fall, right? Go in on this classic flavor featuring the world famous DQ soft serve mixed with real pumpkin pie pieces garnished with whipped topping and nutmeg, the most quintessential fall spice. It's the pumpkin pie blizzard treat. It's September's blizzard of the month at the DQs in Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. Great follow-up comment from uh, Jeremy Farkas in our live chat. He says, of all people that want Jagmeet Singh to get his act together, it's the Conservatives. The Conservative Party of Canada wants Jagmeet Singh to get his act together, and it's true. Mm. If he could shave off like 3 to 10% support from the federal liberals, you imagine how much of an easier road to victory it would be for the Conservatives. That's a mm-hmm. great point. I saw another comment in there about housing market. That was a good point. All these rentals, short-term rentals. These Airbnbs, that's really hurting 
the market because nobody wants to sell because they can just make money indefinitely forever. Yeah, off their second home or their starter home that they you know couldn't sell. It'd be interesting to do a pro con list of like Airbnb, Verbo, like all these short term rental mm-hmm. uh, locations because because it's been great for property owners sure uh that are willing to to either hire somebody to manage that for them or that are willing to do it themselves mm-hmm. um probably make more revenue probably i would imagine a, a, a significant uh, bigger amount of revenue than you would just by renting the place out longer term mm-hmm. um the hotels don't love them that's for sure <laughs> no. uh and we've seen that in you remember at the beginning they were getting a pass it was kind of like there were there were a lot of similarities between airbnb and Uber mm-hmm. in that, uh, you know, it finally got to the point where powerful lobbies like the hotel associations and they have different names in every jurisdiction, but essentially demanded that municipalities start charging hotel taxes on short term rentals because mm-hmm. even the tax landscape was completely unfair for hotels. Yeah. They're trying to find a way to even out that landscape, but also neighborhoods like we were in a, you know, we were in a, a short term rental in, in Invermere a couple of weekends ago. And uh, we were reading that, you know, it says no one allowed outdoors after a certain time. It's not quiet. It's not like quiet by 11. Mm-hmm. You know, some of these are like no one outdoors after 9 p.m. It's like <laughs> you can't really you can't say that you can't do that. But I would imagine if you read between the lines, they've had some kerfuffles with their neighbors. Yeah, I'm a mad. No, thankfully, we are a delightful group of renters. And so, you know, we made sure, sure that we made frids with everybody. I think the but- majority of people are good. Good renters. A lot of, uh, especially sort of the more like, what do you call it? Like the adult housing complexes or the 55 pluses or, mm. uh, you know, some of the nicer uh, retirement communities and things like that. Uh, in, in some cases, and I know people have been challenging condo boards mm-hmm. and there have been some even legal challenges for people willing to spend the money. Um, but, but some, you know, condo boards, for example, have put in legislation, absolutely no short term rentals. Period. Yeah. Because people have become so upset about that, but others have challenged it and found that it's not always within the law to do that, mm-hmm. to tell a property owner what they can or can't do with their rental. So, And the problem, too, is like the best places to live, the most beautiful places to live, if you're thinking like Florida or California or Vancouver or, or wherever, you know, downtown Toronto, that's where the most of these short-term rentals are because that's where you can make the most money indefinitely, right? So those markets where... The housing prices are already absolutely insane is where the most of these Airbnbs or short-term rentals are. So, yeah, I was reading a lot about it uh, last week as well and just being like, because I love Airbnbs compared to hotels. I would yeah. rather stay in an Airbnb than a hotel. I would rather have a whole space, yeah. you know, when I go to a city or when I go back to Ontario or whatever. But then there's, there's so many downsides because I'm one of those people who is like, me and my partner would like to buy a house in the yep. next one to two years. And right now it's impossible. Yeah, it's right? impossible. Maybe maybe some some hope on the horizon with with you know the direction that interest rates are going. And I mean, at least right now holding the but line they keep as saying, opposed they to keep cranking s- up again. But yeah, they said spring twenty twenty three. Yeah, quarter four twenty twenty three. Things are going to get better. Now, well, okay, here we are. And in the meantime, yeah. as if I need to tell you, quarter by quarter, you, you might see a house price go up by three percent exactly. or five percent. Where it's so you're saying now things are bad, but maybe it's good now because maybe it's going to get way worse, right? So. Yeah. Noob try again on the chat says perhaps there needs to be better incentives and protections for landlords to rent to lower income renters. Maybe I'm just not aware of what's out there. Uh, we'll get into it all this week, and of course, our conversation on that. It's not like one day and one day only. This is something that we'll continue to talk about, and and if this doesn't indeed to prove to be over the next couple of years the biggest issue of importance of relevance you know housing and as many of you are pointing out as well grocery prices too 
then that's what we're going to keep talking about. You can send us an email anytime to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Coming up later this week, wanted to let you know in particular on Thursday, we've confirmed Mo Amir, which is he's going to be the host of this is or he is the host, not going to be of this is Van Color. And he's going to join us on Thursday. Uh, He says that the city of Vancouver needs to adopt a new model, a motto. He says that the city of uh, can I say it? Uh, His motto, he thinks for the city of Vancouver. Fuck you. I got mine. And so (laughs) I'm not sure they're going to take his advice, but we'll get into it. We wrap up every Monday's episode. Thanks to our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy. You can get a free solar quote today at kubienergy.ca with with something outside of the news cycle, uh, something that's not dominating the headlines and probably because it's something that might make you feel pretty good on a Monday. It'll restore your faith in humanity. It'll fill your cup. We call it positive reflections. And this is a story out of, uh, this is a, a Guernsey. Have you heard of Guernsey? It's like, uh, it's just off the French coast. It's a British island in, in the English Channel. And uh, a gal by the name of Tessa Legayez, uh, she had lost her chain. She lost her chain when she was frolicking in the water off the island of Guernsey. But here's why this matters most. The chain held a collection of her late family's rings. Like not just one but multiple rings from family members, beloved family members who had passed. And so she was devastated as you might be. And so she called a guy by the name of Matthew Kneebone. He's a metal detectorist. He's a, a, a hot, uses a metal detector as a hobby, but people call him because of his reputation. Uh, in past, he's been able to help people reunite with their lost items. And so two weeks, Johnny, two weeks after she lost her bracelet with these rings, Mr. Kneebone went to the same area she'd been swimming. He got out his metal detector, and, and guess what? He got all of the rings wow. back. And they weren't even all attached to the chain still. But he stayed out there. Hmm. She was with him. He stayed out there till he found them. Can you imagine like tides coming in and out, water washing around, sand, sea life, it's a big all task. of the things that could have happened. But she got them all back, including a wedding ring, and says it is so important for me. Uh, Ms. Lagaya, she, she contacted reporters and journalists and some of the British news outlets have been covering this. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, an amazing photo of the two of them hugging. You can imagine the emotion she would feel. She says, Mr. Kneebone, and they're calling each other by these formal names. She says he's such a selfless man. He didn't even charge her. He, she says he wow. does this for no rhyme or reason. He does it for free, apart from the fact that he enjoys reuniting people with their priceless heirlooms. Look at that. I love that. So be a Mr. Kneebone today. Find a way that you can for no benefit to yourself other than the feeling it gives you. Feeling good, helping somebody out. Do something for your fellow citizen. Uh, Maybe leave a note under the wiper blade of somebody. Could be a complete stranger. I don't know. Maybe... Maybe uh, help weed somebody's front garden if uh, it looks like it's getting out of control and maybe they're dealing with something in their personal life. Uh, maybe drop off a note in somebody's mailbox or maybe tell somebody on the street walking their dog that you appreciate them. I don't know. Whatever it is, let's do something on this Monday that creates our own positive reflection. And if you experience something like this and you think Real Talkers would love to hear about it, you know where to find us. You can check out the Connect link at ryanjesperson.com. Positive Reflections is presented by our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy. Make it a great Monday, friends. Thanks for listening to this episode of Real Talk, and we'll see you again Tuesday. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, executive producer Josh Dunford, 
Technical Producer, John Hicks. General Manager, Katie Cook-Chivers. Account Coordinator, Lawrence Durlego. Human Resources, Lena Shepard. Website Design, Mike Johnston. VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a Relay Project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.